I typically can feel when I'm in a job where that sort of pressure is warranted, where like if I stop working or I stop doing what I'm supposed to be doing as well as I can, then things are going to really go off the rail. But I was like in an entry level position. I was like the bottom of the rung. I was like, I'm pretty sure if I fuck something up, it's going to, someone's going to catch it or enough time will go by that I'll catch it and I'll be able to fix it and we'll all be okay. It's not a big deal. Or you could just be like, hey, you know, you fucked that up. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And I'll take five seconds and fix my mistake. And we'll all just move on with our lives. But it was just this unending. Why am I talking about this? this is, <laughs> it was like three years ago. And I've moved on and become a better person. Because it made you so miserable. It was you so miserable. You still have trauma from it. I really do. I re- it's ridiculous. Every once in a while, I'm like... I hope I run into those people someday and show them how much better I've become. <laughs> it's like running into an ex-girlfriend. It's like, I hope I can show those people oh my God. that fired me, that I'm not a complete, not a moron. Yeah, and you can introduce them to your new job. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you hope that to reward the sales department takes them on, like, a superhero tour. tour yeah. Yeah. And they're like... But this is your new job? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be done in three hours, you idiot. You're like, oh, this is awkward. Um, it was only for like a few weeks. It was it was not a big thing, but it was... It was fast, but it was intense. I don't know. We weren't right. It was it was a very toxic kind of thing. But it's great. You look, you look, you look, yeah, you look great. Good, good, good for you. You look, no, really, you look, you look fine. You look fine. <laughs> Welcome to the Media Lunch Break, bringing you all of your comic geek and movie news all in the time it takes to eat a good sandwich and convince your wife that COVID is a good baby name. My name is Chris Treble. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Dunn. Say hello, Andrew. Why not go all out and make it, uh, co- what is it, Kova SARS-19 or whatever? COVID-19? No, it's it's co- the whole name. Uh... Corona, uh, coronavirus, COVID coronavirus. Is that what you're saying? No, for fuck's sake, SARS-CoV-2. That's what it is. SARS-CoV-2. Because I've heard them refer to that it, to it that way one time. So that's the full name. SARS-CoV-2 is like the full scientific, long drawn out name. I think COVID is a very catchy name. I think it it works very well. COVID as a name. is. I think it's COVID nineteen is the like colloquial name, and that's the disease. And coronavirus is the virus that you get from the disease. Or vice versa. You get the disease from the virus. It doesn't matter. I was like, what are you on, WebMD right now? What's happening? It's very important to me because I run into a lot of people who think it's not real. (laughs) So I I need to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Well, that explains why the state of New Jersey is having such a great time with it. It actually is. Did you know that? We're in the top four. Are you in the top four? Yep. It's uh, New York, New Jersey, Michigan, and... um, Massachusetts. Right, but you guys are now, like, having a big upswing over there, aren't you? Didn't you guys just shut down restaurants? Mm, uh, no, we just opened them. No, I might be wrong on that. Your governor has taken, like, or he canceled phase three? Phase four? Whatever phase you're on, you're sticking on that no, phase. No, we're just, we're just starting to reopen because uh, it's we're doing really well. But it's it, there are certain rules like you can only have like a quarter of your capacity and stuff like that. People are the 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 governor is taking a lot of heat because he's requiring people to wear masks and he like fucking closed down all the parks. Like that's it was, what it is. They were more intense about it than New York. Right, 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 right. That's what it was. But yeah. uh, none of us are sick. Yeah. So hundred percent. We're all looking at you, Texas and Florida. Most of our listenership is from Texas and Florida. There's no way that's true. All right. So what do we, what were we talking about today? Oh, we were talking about Watchmen. Yeah. That's right. So a few months back, a lovely show came out on HBO called Watchmen, based on Watchmen, sequel to Watchmen. And HBO then, now, because I watched it back then when it first came out, and then you just watched it now because HBO put it online for free. Is that right? Yeah, for Juneteenth, for that weekend only. Right. Because the events of Juneteenth actually play into the storyline of Watchmen. 
Yes, sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. They're a backdrop to the storyline of Watchmen, I would say. Kind of. I mean, Juneteenth isn't ever in the show, but what is is the like Tulsa massacre that happened in the tour. That's what I'm. Yes. That is what I'm saying. Now we can finally talk about it because you've seen all the episodes and I've seen all the episodes. And now you listening at home had two cracks at this to watch all the episodes. So now we're going to get into it. So, first of all, Right off the bat, spoilers for the show Watchmen. If you haven't gone and seen it, go and see it. But what did you... So now that you've seen Watchmen, and we've talked about the original graphic novel here as one of the reading assignments. Now that you've actually read it and seen now a sequel series to it, what did you think of the series? So I had the opportunity of... uh, Were you with me in the panel? I was not. At Comic-Con when you saw the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Way back in October, they at New York City Comic-Con... Uh, Melinda's a big fan of Watchmen, and I had never read it at the time, so we were like, oh, let's go, I guess, I don't know what's gonna happen, and we go, and they showed the first episode, and I was like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on, people are fucking cheering at weird shit, there's a fucking owl in the sky, I don't know what's happening, so I thought it was fine, came to find out that a very good friend of ours was in it, I think we talked about it on the show, but uh, uh, a friend of ours from school is in it, I think we did, but I didn't get it, and I thought it was super weird. It was great to be able to come back to it again after reading the book because, one, I was able to rewatch uh, the Tulsa scene at the beginning, the opening, which is great, just to get a second look at what's happening. And it really does, like, spark the rest of the show. So it's important to have a, a very firm understanding on what's going on in the first, like, five or ten minutes of the first episode. So that was cool. But it also was like, oh, I was like, okay, I get an understanding. But it also kind of confused me a lot. Are we just going to spoil the shit out of this from the beginning? Yeah, let's just do it. Because it's hard to talk about this without spoiling it from the beginning. So let's just do it. All right, here comes a sort of spoiler. Uh, It is a spoiler. Tune off, go see the show, and then come back to this. Is that police chief, is he the owl guy? No. He's not. Okay, I didn't think so. But it's confusing because when you see the owl fly up mm-hmm. and he's flying it, and he's you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Right. And so for like the first six episodes or so, I was like, oh, he's owl guy. And we meet some of the other characters from the comic. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. These are all the, the people who are left at the end of the, of the Watchmen comic. Great. Right, right. And then like episode seven or eight or something, someone's like, Oh yeah, we used that tech to make the police cruisers, the flying owls. So just that's just something that the police have now. Yes. And I was like, oh, so I have watched this whole... And I don't know if that was intentional, because it was extremely confusing. I think it was supposed to... Yes, I, I, there are... I think either this is going to be an aspect of this show that you're going to love or that you're going to hate, but they will put nods to the original thing in, or they'll put in certain keystones that open questions. I mean, this is a Damon Lindelof production, so it's the same guy who created Lost and Leftovers. And yeah, like I was literally going to ask if he did Lost. I, he did I Lost. fucking hated Lost. But, like, the mystery box thing is, like, very big with him. So he'll do something like introduce the owl ship, and then you'll go, oh, how did they get that? And then not answer that question immediately. And kind of keep that going until you almost forget about it, and then they kind of bring it back around and then you go, oh, that's how it all works out. Okay, so what I hated about Lost is <laughs> that none of those things happened. Lost specialized in asking two questions and answering one. And every time they would answer one question, they would ask two more. So by the end, you had millions of questions, and they just couldn't answer them. And then it just ended. And I was like, what a fucking letdown. This... My favorite thing about this, it's astonishing to me, because Lost would sort of do it as you go. Like, at the end of every episode, they'd be like, oh, we solved this thing. But what about these two other things? This, like, the first seven, uh, I'll say the fir- at least the first five episodes don't answer any questions. They just ask questions. It's just new stuff. It's, these people are over here doing some weird shit, These people are over here doing some weird shit. What's this guy doing over here? I don't fucking know. And then as it goes on, after about episode five, I think it's the sixth episode, which I think is one of the best episodes of television ever released, which is the one where she sort of accidentally goes back. She swallows the the memory pills, nostalgia. 
And from there, you just get all of the answers vomited onto you over the next few episodes. And they tie up all the loose ends that you need tied up. It's so well done. Yeah, they structure this really well. I mean, the the problem with Lost compared to this is that Lost was an open-ended show. Like, because it was, you know, a, a normal network show, the network's going to go, well, we're going to keep doing this for as long as we possibly can because it's a big moneymaker. So then, like, every time they answered a question, they had to ask two more because they had to generate more episodes and more content and more storyline. Whereas this, he said, like, I've done this one season. I actually have no intention of doing a second season. I want to leave it just as it is. If they, if HBO wants to pick it up and have someone else come in and do it, that's up to them. But I'm done with this. I've told the story that I want to tell. And so he's able to structure that in a way where, like you said, they, for the first like five episodes, he asks all the questions and then you just are bombarded to the point that you reach capacity for questions. You reach that kind of like max level of, I can't take it anymore if you don't start answering some of these questions. And he goes, all right, great. For the next five, we're going to answer all of your questions for you. And it's just, you're just hit with answer after answer after answer and everything starts making sense. By the way, real quick, I think we should, as we really start getting into storylines and episodes and things like that, uh, the basic premise of this is that it is a sequel to the graphic novel Watchmen. It takes place not in New York, like the original Watchmen does. It takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And what has happened is that the police now all wear masks because uh, there was a mass shooting. There was a, an organized, basic, basically an organized assassination of police officers one evening where they fought, they all went into the police officers' homes and killed all the police. And so now police wear masks to hide themselves and heroes are basically outlawed. Uh, and we've, the storyline follows the story of Regina King's character, who is a police officer on the, on the, the Tulsa PD and detectives and higher rank sexually get basically like a vigilante personality or a vigilante uh, identity uh, to hide their real identity from people. So they've kind of flipped the whole idea of what a superhero is and put them on the police force. And through that, you discover who this police officer is and her background, but also how she fits into the Watchmen world and how she fits in relating to the characters from the original story, which is really, I, I mean, the way that they do it, I remember thinking, you know, this is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are as far from New York and the original graphic novel as we can get. How in the <laughs> hell could this person be related to anyone in the Watchmen world? And it turns out she's related to everyone in the Watchmen world. I think that she's fantastic in it. I think that Jeremy Irons as Ozymandias is brilliantly cast. I don't think there's a weak link. No. In fact, the ones that you have named, I agree with. I would go so far as to say Tim Blake Nelson is at his best in this. Tim Blake Nelson is at his best. You know what's interesting about this? Tim Blake Nelson is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Of course he fucking is. <laughs> I know, but I just think that's great. I was like, oh, the, I was like, he's great in this. Why is he so great? Not that he isn't ever great. Yeah. But I was like, he's really great in this. Why is he like his accent is perfect and everything. Why is that? And then I heard an interview with him and he's like, yeah, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was like, oh. You basically just went home and, like, hung out <laughs> at home for the shooting of this. It's so weird to see him in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and fucking... Buster Scruggs? Sure. I actually haven't seen that one yet. I need to watch it. Oh, okay. But I was going to say Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He plays her dad. Right. Okay. And, like, to see him be this, like... I mean, he's essentially, Melinda, and Melinda actually sort of gave me this idea. She said that she kept waiting for them to reveal that he was actually Rorschach. And I was like, yeah, that's sort of the character he's filling the shoes of. Yeah, and that's the other interesting thing is that they have these characters that, if they don't have the exact character from the comic, they have an archetype of that character. Like the Tim Blake Nelson Rorschach comparison, which is really interesting. Yeah, it is. It's a really compelling series to watch. And I, part of me is sad that like Damon Lindelof doesn't want to do a second season. But at the same time, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't want to fuck with it. I, I want to just leave it, like just drop the mic there 
and let it go. I would like to let it sit for a minute. And if he wakes up from a dream one night. Right. And it's like, oh, that would be a great way to do it. Yeah. I don't care if it's five years from now. Yeah. I'm totally good with that. Yeah. Because I don't think anyone else could do it quite the way that he's done it. It I think it would feel like a a knockoff or, or, or a bad Xerox copy. Hey, let me ask you a question. Go for it. Who the fuck is that slippery guy? I love the fact that they don't really answer that question. Is he just a vigilante? He is, but there's a... There's a fan... I think there's a fan theory of who it's supposed to be. It might be... I think they've said it might be the um, lower, the junior FBI officer coming in who's, like, obsessed with the vigilantes and obsessed with heroes and things like that. There's been rumor that, that it's that guy and that he was, that is his attempt at at becoming the vigilante that he's always idolized. But I don't, they don't ever answer it definitively. They kind of like let that one go, which I, which if you're going to let a loose thread hang, let that one hang. Right. Well, because it doesn't really like affect anything. I guess. Well, that junior officer character had like, there was like a blog online uh, uh, that was supposed to be his actual blogs and it insinuates that they uh, that he went kind of like unstable and then um, they fired him from the FBI because he, he stopped showing up in certain episodes. Like at a certain point, he's he's not there anymore. I'm looking up stuff about it. There's a whole universe. I'm now literally. Oh, Lube Man. Here we go. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Dale Petey, the agent that was with um, Lori Blake. When uh, when she showed up, there's a there's a theory that goes on that she is that he is the loop man. Jesus. <laughs> How do you feel about Rorschach uh, basically inspiring the KKK? <laughs> like Rorschach's uh, uh, journal being like the manifesto for every nut job and racist in all of Tulsa, Oklahoma and the surrounding area. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense because he was already sort of the Batman ver- of the, like, I, I think people usually compare Batman to like Owl Man or Mothman or whatever. But like, I think he was closer to the Batman of right. the Watchmen world, Rorschach, because he was just this like underground, dark, mysterious, yes, brooding guy. And so like, of course... That like when, and they probably believe that he sacrificed himself trying to save Manhattan during the explosion since he died then. So it makes perfect sense that he would be this martyr for the people, you know, and the people who are not racist would read that and go, oh, (laughs) you know, that sucks. Yeah, this guy's insane. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess you'd have to be right. And then go on with the rest of their day. But the people who are like, psychotic racists and murderers would read that and go, yeah, this guy, finally, someone's speaking my language. Right. Someone, a hero is telling the truth, right. finally, saying the things that no one's no one's brave enough to speak up about, you know? Yeah, it's the most logical choice for the continu- continuation of this world that I did not see coming at all. But I think, naturally, when you get the to the end of the original Watchmen... And you see that the journal's been sent out and it's been, you know, it's uh, it's going to get discovered uh, and printed. You go, oh, well, the truth is going to come out. So naturally, people are going to read this and be um, enraged by it, by the story of what Ozymandias has done and everything. And it doesn't work out that way. And then you watch it and you go, oh, of course, it makes total sense. No, people aren't going to believe Rorschach completely. They're... But the people who do aren't going to be like the mainstream people who are going to do anything about it. They're going to be the fringe people that <clears throat> that would form some sort of like anti-establishment or horrible organization and completely subvert what he's trying and to do. And even more on that point, the media decides what they publish, right? Right. So like, first of all... When I finished reading Watchmen, my first thought was not about, like, what was going to happen after they publish it. Because if you recall, it just ends with an assistant eating a sandwich and being like, what's this thing that you threw away in the trash? And it's the journal. It could be that, like, 
they don't because they throughout that whole thing the the publisher is like a real asshole to that assistant he could believe it's not real he could believe it's fake right um he could also be like who gives a shit of, about Rorschach's, Rorschach's journal throw it in the garbage right so to me it was like i don't even know if this is going to get published but then once you do publish it it is up to the publisher to de- to decide okay, this guy was clearly a psychopathic racist. Do we really want to spread lies about this great man, Ozymandias, that was written by this, like, insane racist psychopath? We can leave that part out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no. I completely get what you're saying. It was funny because you watch... I mean, maybe this was my just my perspective. For a hot second, for, like, just the first episode, I remember watching it and going, wait, is the base have they somehow made the KKK the good guys in this? And then it turns out they're all horrible. And like I understand, I, and you the more you find out about their plot, you're like, oh, this is terrible. But they're going around like you you think that the police are corrupt, and you think that the uh, and then when they're attacking the police, they're like, wait, are they the good guys? Or are they the bad guys? It was an interesting place to live in for like the first episode until you start to find out more and more and more and more. Um, about it, but I th- I just thought it was a really interesting. Yeah, the more you find out about it, the more you're like, oh, there are like three different groups of people who are all trying to fight each other because they all believe they're the heroes, but they're all villains. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is it. Just shows that Lindelof uh, and the writers got the world of Watchmen. Like they don't try and. I don't want to say justify, but they don't try and make anyone the clear out and out hero because that's not what this world is. Like there are no he- actual heroes in this world. There are people. It's not what Watchmen is about. Right. Exactly. Um, there are people who look like heroes and maybe people who want to be heroes. And typically those people aren't good enough to make it to the top. But the people who are typically want to seem like they're heroic, but actually aren't. Right. And so that it's kind of an interesting thing that they took, like you said, the, everybody thinks that they're the hero of their own story, but they're actually all just villains towards each other. You have anything else? No, I think that's it. I mean, there's a plot twist that is so huge and so great that I don't even want to spoil it in our spoiler discussion. Okay. But it is, my God, it, it's worth watching. Even if you don't like the first, like, six episodes, which you will, you'll love them. But even if you get through that whole thing and you've read Watchmen and you're you watch these first six episodes and you're like, I don't know about this, I don't really like these, just just keep watching, because my god, it takes such there's so many twists and turns and so many so wild, like intentional retconning and like, oh, I didn't expect this to happen. It's so good. Just just watch it. Can you give me some sort of hint on what the thing you're trying not to spoil is? It involves a person that the the I almost said the Nazis. <laughs> it involves a person that the um, racist, uh, the Rorschach group have been looking for. Got it. Yeah. 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 Man. I think, I, yeah, I think I know the part you're talking about. And yes, it's, it's nuts. It's insane. <laughs> okay. All right. So should we, I really want to move on to the reading assignment because I'm excited to talk to you about this reading assignment. I am as well. Okay, excellent. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go to reading assignments. All right, sir. So for your reading assignment, I assigned you one very simple thing, and that was to watch the Netflix series Middleditch and Schwartz, starring uh, Tom Middleditch and Ben Schwartz. This is a three-episode series on Netflix uh, where they do long-form improv for three episodes. What did you think of this? Terrible. Fuck you. <laughs> I I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? I've watched the whole thing three times now. I watched it the first time just to like be like, what is this? And I loved it. And you were right. You gave me the advice that I should not watch it when anyone near me is sleeping because I would laugh too hard. And you were absolutely right. I was laughing hysterically the whole time. I think they only get funnier as they go. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it the first time for that. I watched it the second time to be like, okay, now I know what this is. Let me let me wrap my mind around it a little better. And then the third time I watched it to sort of pick it apart and like write some specific things down and look for certain things. So for anyone who doesn't know, Thomas Stephen Middletich is his middle name. I looked up the bios of these guys. Okay. So before anyone watches this thing, it's on Netflix. It's so hard to describe to people too. Thomas Middleditch was born March 10th, 1982. He's 38 years old. He's Canadian. He was born in Nelson, Canada. 
He started improv early. He was in high school and he started with theater sports and he is a founding member of Improv Shakespeare, which I have been to and I did not know that he was one of the founding members. Oh, wow. I saw it like 10 years ago or something in Chicago. Ben Schwartz, which is a great name. He was born on September 15th, 1981. He's 38 as well. They're only like a couple months apart in age. He was born in the fucking Bronx graduated in 2003 with a double major in psychology and anthropology. Really? I did not know that. And the most amazing thing about his Wikipedia page is that it jumps from that to 2009 to his Emmy Award. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to know what happened in between there. <laughs> There's a gap in the story. So he won in 2009. He won an Emmy for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics for co-authoring Hugh Jackman's opening number for the 81st Academy Awards. Oh, he did do that, yeah. I guess. He is a graduate of the Upright Citizens Brigade, and I have to say, he is so good at creating a character gesture for the characters that they create in this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, like, I love just, like, like, there are parts where he's like, no, no, me playing with my hair isn't Randy. Me looking at my hands is Randy. Me playing with my hair is Emily. Yeah. <laughs> like... And that's one of the things, that's one of the things I really love about this. Like I, first of all, just to kind of explain it further, because I don't know if I did it full justice. So Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch, they will, and they have done this around the country and this is their background. And a lot of people, it's not an, a form of improv that people see a whole lot. And this is like one of the first things that someone's ever done where they actually like filmed a long form improv. A lot of times you will see, a sketch show or an improv show, like you can see it upright citizens brigade or second city or something like that. And it's short. There are short little segments. What Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch do, and they've done this for years and this is not their creation. This is something that they've done for years. Like a lot of, uh, a lot of other improv artists, but they will do long form. So essentially what they do is they start off with a prompt or a question. Um, for these episodes, it's the same one every single time, which is, do you have an event that's coming up? Uh, that's kind of a big event that's important to you. And then they go from there and they improv then for like an hour and create just character upon character upon character. And what I love about this is that as, on top of it being incredibly funny is that they're loose enough that you also get basically like an improv 101. I was literally going to say that if you watch this enough to memorize it, you can take this as a masterclass in improv. Absolutely. Because they they stop the shows at certain points to like reassess with themselves. Yeah. And I think people, a lot of times when I've seen, and I, I'll be honest, this is the first long form improv I've ever watched. I've seen mm. a lot of not long form, the shorter form improv, like the Heralds yeah, yeah, and yeah. things like that at UCB. I think a lot of people are so like, I got to just keep going. Like I got to, I can't stop and, and run out of ideas. I just have to spit something out of my mouth. And they show the fact that they're like, no, you can just, just hold on. A, we're just going to pause a second and reconfigure this and figure like, cause we're a little lost and we're trying to tell a story. Well, there are a lot of times there's one that I wouldn't be surprised if you missed so here's the thing. Chris, you and I both went to the Actors Studio Drama School. Yes. They're big on improv as well, but for a totally different reason. They yes. do it as more like a, hey, one easy way for you to figure out who the character is and what they're doing is to like improv some stuff, see what makes them tick. Right. And one of the things they get a fucking hard on for is when you say what you are thinking or feeling or want to say, but it's as the character. Right. Like in an improv, you could be like... This is so fucking stupid. And that's the character feeling that way now, because you feel that way. You feel dumb for doing an improv, right. but now the character you're playing feels dumb as well. Feels dumb for being in this situation. Right, or whatever. It, it You make it work, because you, as the actor, right. feel stupid. Or whatever it is. Right. I remember seeing, um, I think it was Carol Kane, said that she started crying because she was so nervous in the middle of her audition for the actor's studio, and then she got in. And she tried to explain to them, no, no, I wasn't acting. And she was like, I was just crying. And they were like, I mean, uh, it's that's what we think acting is. <laughs> and they're like, what's a fucking difference? Yeah, basically. And that's the most interesting thing to me. There's one part where they forget that they have already named one of the characters. It's in the wedding. 
and it's um, Marnie. Yes. And Ben Schwartz, who's playing Marnie, introduces himself again, but this time as Amber. And Middleditch is like, I feel like you already had a name. And he's like, maybe it was Lisa. And then they're like, oh, no, that's the girl I'm with. And they're going back and forth. And eventually the audience yells out Marnie. And Ben Schwartz goes, I can't believe I forgot that name. That's my sister's name. And Thomas Middleditch says, oh, wait a minute. So your parents had two kids and they named both of them Marnie? And he goes, no, no, don't don't worry about it. And I looked it up. His sister's name is Marnie, Ben Schwartz's sister. Right. But they totally could have gone with that, too. That's That could have been something in the sketch. And so it's really interesting. Well, it's brilliant. I mean, they ride that line of like, yeah, we are a hundred and you're watching the whole the, the idea of yes and, yeah. which is what improv is founded on. But you're watching them do that. But it's it's not they're not so diehard about it that you can't like you said, you, you know, you can't get a master class out of it that that you go, oh, that's where they're yes anding, and that's how they do it, and I can I understand now what yes and is uh, and even i have a list here of i know we can go over it later but i have a list of every time someone redirects it with a no right oh oh, i see what you're saying yeah, yeah. um but i also love just the the time before we because i will we can go into your list but i want to i want to just bring up this one spot that i love because i found it fascinating and it's in the last episode the job episode because thomas middleditch is starting this character and he starts giving like a background about the character and then he stops the show completely and he's like you got to give me something about this character because i don't like where this is going and he like do you remember this moment he stops the show and he's like we gotta because this is now going in a weird direction that isn't going to be funny so you need to give me a give me something about this character real quick and then he was like you have a cat farm oh that's that's not what he's that's not what happens i think you read that wrong because <laughs> that happens in the first episode is it the first episode i thought it was the last episode. were there in no, a- no 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 it no i hear me out in the first episode so i'm gonna i'm gonna go through this whole thing with you right because in the first episode ben schwartz is like hey man i'm nervous about the wedding right and Middleditch is like hey man kathleen she's great you know she's so cool and he's like yeah yeah she's great cool give me a third thing about her <laughs> And he's like, uh, and he's like, uh, so that one, I, that one does happen. And he's, they try to do that. And then they take it in a totally different direction. The one you're talking about is because Thomas Middleditch doesn't like that the character is too close to Lorne Michaels and it makes him uncomfortable. Right. Right. But I just like the, what I'm saying is I love the idea that he's like, no, I'm just, it's not because it's, he's worried it's not funny or he wants to redirect it or something. He is starting to get anxiety. Right. Because he's worried Lorne Michaels is going to see this sketch and be upset that they're making fun of him. Right, right, right. I'm saying, I just love the idea of like, no, you could stop a sketch. We're just going to stop a second. We're going to pause. You're going to give me something else. Yeah. Well, and even when they their weaknesses, like at the end of that episode, Thomas Middleditch is like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and Ben Schwartz says that they have to stop it right. for like yes. four minutes and just go through everything they've just done. Yes. Everything that they've done for like an hour, yeah. which I love. And that's one of the aspects where I'm like, I love that this is now not only it's incredibly entertaining but it is a masterclass because you they will stop and they're okay with stopping and going hang on a second we're both lost let's take a second let's take a breath we're going to figure this out and then move on and the reason i bring up the actor studio in the way that we learned improv is because like in for that exact example when one of them's like I, like, I wait, I don't know what's going on. And then Ben Schwartz has to be like, okay, well, no, we did this and you played this character, but now you're this character. And then we did this and then we did that. And Middleditch is like, no, I don't think that's right. And he's like, it is, man. Just trust me. Look, you did this, did this. And they go through the whole thing. And then a third character who is there goes, thank you, gentlemen, for sharing your life stories with me. So it's all part, even though it is not actually part of the sketch, right. it is still part of the sketch. It's really part of the thing. They will then put it back into the thing. Yeah. But they don't feel the need to like, oh my God, we got to cover this up with 20 layers of something so that it doesn't look like we're rehashing this. We're totally okay with just going like, yeah, this is how the sausage is made. Give us a second. We'll get back into this. But they're, they'd rather do that than just go like, well, we have to keep a veneer of like all these characters and never show that we are just making this up as we go along. Because a lot of times I think when people do that, 
it can turn into absolute crap because you clearly don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And we're just trying to hide the fact that we don't know what we're doing from the audience. And so it's then we're not concentrating on anything else except the fact that like, well, I don't know where I am and I'm just, words are just coming out of my mouth and nothing makes sense. I love that they're willing to just go, nope, we're going to stop. We're going to take a break. We're going to, you know, talk to each other about what's going on, reconnect, and then continue. I remember when I saw Shakespeare, uh, Improv Shakespeare in Chicago, I remember that it was starting to wrap up. They did, it's, first of all, it's incredible. If you, you find yourself in Chicago, you should check it out. There's a guy who improvs in verse for them. And at the beginning of every scene, he will create a monologue in verse that sets up the scene. Wow. It's insane. Uh, and you can see he's just, like, in his own head. Like, he's clearly nowhere in the building. Like, he's just focusing on, right. like, what's what's the meter? What's the rhyme? What am I trying to say? Right. Uh, like, I think I remember his either his eyes were closed or he was just, like, staring at the ceiling the whole time. And they were wrapping up. It was Act 5. And the war that they were all waging was wrapping up. Everyone was peaceful all of a sudden. And then someone was like... It was a trick all along and stabs one of the other characters. And that character goes, wait, what? And just falls over dead. And then there was another 20 minutes after that. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. It, all of a sudden, like, I love when in the in the wedding episode, in the first episode, he's just like, wait, who are you? And because Ben Schwartz is like walking by or Thomas Middleton is walking by. Yeah. And he's like, who are you? And Thomas just goes, uh i'm a ghost and they go <laughs> and he's like wait what and you see like he's now broken a cardinal it, it looks like he's broken like a cardinal sin of improv because right. ben Schwartz is like wait but all right we have to come back to that like it's that sin of like you can't just leave a loose end you can't just like make a ghost and then it's a cheap excuse to to be able to cross the stage that's right and for a while you're like okay i guess he's just doing that it's a funny moment and he just needed to get across the stage. And then they find a way to bring it back around. And the moment that ghost comes back again, you go, oh, my God, I can't believe they took that and tied it all together. There's a uh, there's a similar moment to that in uh, in the third one when he goes into JFK and Ben Schwartz doesn't know. He's just like in JFK. And then he's like, oh, hey. And it's super awkward. <laughs> and Middleditch is like. Uh, hi, I guess, and then zips up his fly and starts washing his hands. And Ben Schwartz is like, oh, we're in the bathroom. I guess I'm going to go take a shit now. And like the guy's like, uh, okay. Like Middleditch is like a stranger. So he's like, okay, why were you talking to me? And he's like, I don't, do I know you? And he's like, no, I don't think so. Right. And then he just fucking leaves. <laughs> and Ben Schwartz is like, all right, I guess I'm going to take a shit now. <laughs> uh, that whole thing with Middleditch in that bathroom when he's like, when he all of a sudden he decides to somehow put in like a tirade about waste, <laughs> and he's just like, "I'm just one of these fucking guys, no dude. I take a ton of paper towels," and he just starts going, "Cause energy is free. Who cares?" Oh man! All right. So here's this list. I want to run this by you. Yeah, do this list before we, and then we'll get out of here. But because we can do this all day. Yeah, I know. And I've got a couple other things too. I've got like two different short lists. They're both very short, but this one is okay. Every time they could have said yes. And, but instead someone was like, no, we're not doing that. Okay. So the first one is in the wedding one and Ben Schwartz, as Marnie says, you know, a thing happened in my past that was very sad. You don't want to know. And middle ditch as short Paul goes, but I do want to know. <laughs> and Ben Schwartz goes, anyway, do you have anything in your past? And they just totally ignore it and go to the weird Batman thing, <laughs> which is so fucking funny. Right. Because they know that, like, it's just not going to work out. Yeah. That's the other thing is, like, I like that they're just like, no, this is not. I know if we go down this road, it's not going to work. So let's not. There's a part in that same one where Schwartz asks like he tries to give middle ditch an out like a path to go because he's it's when middle ditch middle ditch is explaining what happened with the clown and he's clearly struggling and he's like the gun landed in my hand and i shot the clown <laughs> and, and shorts is like what are you asking me for i wasn't there and then eventually he th he, he hands him a he throws him a bone and he's like did you go to jail is that why kathleen hasn't seen you and he goes no it was self-defense <laughs> 
um, which I love. I know. Uh, let's see. Oh, and then the, <laughs> at the very end of that episode, when Schwartz is like, do you want to fuck one last time? And Kathleen is like, no. And then he goes, a short ball goes to Lisa and is like, Lisa, we cool? And she goes, no. <laughs> Which I love. I love the just like terminal, not not even no but or no and, just no. Yeah, just no. All the other ones are in the alien one. Like they did a really good job of just saying yes to everything in the third one. It's so fucking funny. Oh my gosh, that alien one gets crazy. Oh, it's... <laughs> it's what does this mean oh middle ditch says it's too dangerous because when he's first about to open the door for the alien and then he closes it right away and he's like never mind it's too dangerous we're not doing this and ben schwartz has to convince him in character that now that you have introduced that alien character you have to open the door exactly yeah <laughs> Um, and then the, I, I, as the alien is like i'm hungry and middle ditch says i have a snickers and that, like, totally changes the... Because that was a subplot that, like, when he's hungry, he is angry. And yes. he's getting hungry. Yeah. And Middle Dish is just like, here, I have a candy bar. <laughs> and the last one I have is, at the very end, they're like, well, we have to give up one of our sons to this alien. And then Ben Schwartz is like, Jason, are you at least going to treat our son okay? And he goes, no. <laughs> I'm going to treat him very, very badly. And Ben Schwartz yeah. literally says, okay, that would have made this whole thing a lot easier, but I guess we're doing this now. Right. Well, and see, that's that's one of the no's I love because, it, and it's one of those cool lessons that this can teach you about improv is that in certain instances, no's can be yeses. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is one of those instances that they prove like a no can be a yes. Because if he had just said yes, that's the simpler choice. But this no makes it more complicated, gives you more to work with. So you can go down that line. In all honesty, a no is a yes to something else. Because the show doesn't just stop. Right. Yeah, because the idea of like a yes and is if you were to say no to something... It shuts it down. Kind of like what you were saying with the, are we cool now? And it's just a definitive no. Yeah. Like that comes at the, he can do that at the very end of the thing. Right. Because it doesn't need to really go on anymore. If he had done that in the beginning, there's nowhere to go. And it's funny. Like you, right. you get a long laugh. But this is one of those instances. It's like, just because you're saying the word no doesn't mean you're shutting it down with a no. You're introducing a new and more interesting path to go down. And so it's proving like, yes, and does not have to literally be saying the phrase yes. And it's just the idea of like, open the door to something else to, to go down a different pathway. The last thing I wanted to say is that Ben Schwartz has the fastest brain of any person I have ever seen in my life. I have three specific moments that like blew my mind. One is from the wedding. I think there's one from each one? Yeah, there's one from each one. Yeah. The first one from the wedding is when Ben Schwartz is like, I got this, I got this speech I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to say this stuff. I'm going to do five minutes of stand-up comedy. I'm going to sing three of the best songs that you've ever heard in your life. Uh, I'm going to toast with champagne. I'm going to drop the mic into the champagne. I'm going to drink the champagne out of the, out of the mic. And then I'm going to throw it across the room. And then it turns out it's a yo-yo. And then uh, later, like, he's like, hey, man, I just want to let you know, I'm proud of you. And Middleditch is like, I'm proud of you too, man. And then he's realized he said something wrong and he has to fix it. And he's like, you know, because you're two months sober. <laughs> and he's like, sorry, that was a dark detail. And Ben Schwartz, walking away, turns back and says, it's even darker that I was going to drink champagne at the toast. <laughs> 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 Which just like, I was like, good oh God. God, like to just pull that out. And then there's one in the alien one. Where, um, oh no, they're both in that one. The last two are in that same episode. And he's like, wait, wait, you got, you got fucked by a gazelle? He's like, what, what, you just let them do that to you? And he's like, hey man, I got kids. And Ben Schwartz, without missing a beat, goes, I know, that's why it's crazy you're applying for an internship. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one was, um, when the, the kid is like, I, I want to be like you, Kyle. And he's like... He's like, oh, you don't want to, or whichever, whatever character that is. I want to be like you. And the, the dad is like, you don't want to be like me? And he goes, no, I heard you got fucked by a gazelle. They're both brilliant in this. But I was watching it and I'm like, if he's not up for some sort of award for this, it's a travesty against man. Because he is so, I, like I said, they're both really good. Man, but you're yeah. right. Like he somehow can have such a forward momentum in this whole thing and bring things around back 
from like 45 minutes ago and it's not like a major thing it's like some salient detail i think they're both really good at the like the long form improv that like that arc right of like there's a beginning a middle and end they're both really good at like so sol- like creating problems and then solving them in the allotted time right but he is so good at just coming up with a punchline when there isn't a straight line right a hundred percent yeah yeah and just pulling something from the like not even majors it's a minor thing that got tossed off like you know an hour ago and then bringing it back to to be a callback that is so brilliant, it ties the whole piece together. Yeah. I couldn't recommend this more. I literally was watching it while I was waiting for you to call me. And I'm literally going to get off the phone with you and probably watch it again. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's one of the best things I've seen on Netflix. Watch it immediately. Watch it over and over again because it's still funny. Like, I was still laughing out loud the third time I was watching them. When you stop laughing, you're just going to be in awe of them. And when you stop being in awe of them, you're just going to start laughing again. It's really incredible. Do you have a reading assignment for me, sir? I did. I have forgotten what it was. Excellent. Well, then it'll be a surprise for everyone you can remember it and text it to me or something like that um i feel like i want to do it right now maybe i can jog your memory is it a comic is it something to read is it something to watch is it something to experience how can we never assign each other food i would really like you to assign (laughs) me like a big mac at some point because I don't think there's any type of food you haven't eaten yet before this starts getting into like a dare how dare you have you seen the TV show Happy? Uh, the one with Maloney and uh, Patton Oswalt? Yeah. I've never seen it, though oddly enough, I was a background on it. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was on set for, I think, their pilot, and it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. Oh, so maybe you don't want to watch it then. <laughs> I mean, I will totally watch it because it's been years and I don't really care, but it's... Um, it's very good. Is it? Okay. Was that what your reading assignment was going to be? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do the first season of that. Okay. Oh. How many episodes is it? I'm not sure. I'm not through it yet. I think I've got, I think it's only like eight. I'm, I've got like two left, I think. Okay. But I've been watching it slow. So let's do that. You want to do Happy? Yeah. Are, you, are we First season of Happy. In? Okay, great. All right, done. Let's do it. You know what? I see your first season of Happy and I raise you nothing. I'm just going to watch the first season of Happy. <laughs> That's going to be it for us. Hey, Andrew. Yeah. Hey, Andrew. What's up? Hey, Andrew. What? Hey, Andrew. What? Hey, Andrew. What? Where can they find oh, us? thank God I want to get the fuck out of here. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play Music. You can listen to us on SoundCloud.com slash The Media Lunch Break. You can find us on Twitter, where our handle is at Media Lunch Break. You can listen to us on Facebook. You can't listen to us on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. We actually have a contest going on there. Check out our Instagram to see what that is. We talked about it last week, so I won't get into the details here. But go look at it. You still have a chance to win if you're listening to this right now. You can find us on YouTube.com slash The Media Lunch Break, where we post our videos. You can find us on Patreon.com slash The Media Lunch Break, where you can go there to give us cash, dollar roonies, the big bucks, the paydays the Mars bars, Snickers. You can go send us an email at themedialunchbreak at gmail.com. You can visit our website, which is www.themedialunchbreak.com. Rate us and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Please leave comments that are are constructive or mean, one or the other. A special thank you to Julie. Thanks, Julie. Who is our favorite listener. We pretend like we don't uh, have any biases or preferences we don't have any golden children who listen to our podcast, but Julie is our favorite. Hold on a second. Wait, you were pretending that you love them all equally? No, it's not pretending. It's real. Because uh, I I definitely have favorites. I don't. I 100% have favorites. Everyone is equal, but Julie is more equal than the rest. That's, yeah, that's a fair way to put that. Continue. Well, if you were listening, you'd know that I'm at the very end. I am listening to you. What, are we married now? Uh, we might be. Is that a thing? I think in certain states we are. Because I think if you live with someone long enough, you're technically married. Is there a thing that, like, if you do a podcast with someone long enough? Well, I feel like I've been living with you in my head for long enough. That didn't work, did it? No, it didn't at all. I was trying to save it, but I couldn't think of anything to save it with. No, don't save it. Just let it die. All right. Anything else? Wait, did you get to the... You got to the very end, didn't you? Yes. This is the third time. I always forget that the Julie thing, it comes at the very end. My God. All right. Man, we are on fire. We are just killing it. I wish someone was killing us. Uh, So next time, we'll talk about... 
Who knows what the hell next time? The news. We'll talk about the news. We're gonna talk about the news, and next then we'll time. talk about something else. And uh, and now there's there, see now there's another thing, and there wasn't thing before, and now you have a thing, and you get it for free. So quit your bitching. All right, everybody, that's gonna be it. Uh, by the way, side note. Jim Fagan is listening to our review of Zero Issue, and he's texting me about it right now. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, he's very happy. <laughs> oh, good. Jim Fagan is still texting me. He's t- talking about how we'll never work in this industry again. He said he'll come on our show 100% anytime. Oh, right now. <laughs> Actually, should I? Should I? I need to text him right now and tell him we're recording as he's texting me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if that. he wants to call and you want to put him on speakerphone yeah he won't get this by the time we finish this episode oh hey andrew brace yourself okay hey andrew yeah hey andrew yes hey andrew is this about jim wait hold on jim actually say give me a number <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh, oh do i do i do this right now wait are you messaging him on facebook or something no on uh he's texting me we're tight like that wait he's texting you and he said give me your number he said give me a number Oh, now I'm tempted to call. No, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> Jim, you're already... Listen, Jim, you're listening to this episode. This is getting really meta for, for Jim right now, okay? Because he's texting me and listening to the episode while he's texting me. And I'm debating on whether he's going to call in. But I'm going to say no. But you're now on the episode, Jim, because you're a part of it. So we're keeping it alive. So now you'll get three bites at the apple. All right? You ungrateful bastard. I cannot wait to interview these three. I know. It's going to be a good time. I'm going to make it your reading assignment. I can't believe you're going to let this episode end with us trying desperately to grasp at straws for a joke instead of letting Jim Fagan, a known Hollywood (laughs) producer, call us. Well, no, he actually put it well. He said, good, let's make it a saga. So this will be a running thing. He could be like the Matt Damon to our Jimmy Kimmel, where we say he's going to come on but he, we never. Yeah, no. I would rather he just come on the show. Wait, no, that's not how that bit goes. Can we end this, please? Because I'm about to have a stroke. Can we just be done? No, we have to go out on a joke. Oh wait, hold on, hold on. This this message is for you, Andrew. And also, please tell Andrew I'm aware that he wants the DVD. He's the only one I was worried about not getting it <laughs> because he so specifically told me it was all he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> that he put this is in all caps painfully aware <laughs> i have not bugged him about it at all i have not sent a single email no you just recorded an episode of a podcast and put it on the internet for everyone to hear about uh yeah listen like i said it's not a sore point it's just something that i remembered that was worth talking about I think. Do you have anything else to add? I kind of like the idea of making Jim Fagan our running joke. Is he okay with that? He suggested it, so I would assume yes. My god. Best of luck to him. This is where it's fallen for him. May the odds be ever in his favor. I mean, listen, if he's gone from working at Lincoln Center to being a running gag on our podcast, the odds are clearly not in his favor.